No. How do you like that? No, 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 no. We gotta do this right. Let it never be sick. There we go. Here we go. <laughs> you. To witness the awesome, the awesome, a crushing might of the U.S. Robinson. Show the kid is sleeping. Stop! <laughs> Welcome, my friends. Be sure to see you never so kind of end. Using this rubber so stomper. Well, I'll explain all of this in a moment. But first, this is version a two, two, eight. I'm the UBS Robinson Showstopper. I'm your host, Jess Robinson. We got a jam-packed agenda. But first, seeing us in as always. It's 2007. Bob Riley from Stigmata. The record is called The Calling of the Just. The song is called Intro All of Nothing. And it's still available from Revelation Records. In Huntington Beach, California, where they shoot you to death in a nightclub, they hit your car with a hammer, and they run your mayor pro tem out of town. But we'll let Bob sing it right before we start in. On the fun time weirdness, in which all of this will be explained in short order. Now we're having a heat wave. I'm wearing hats. You know, this is a song that actually got me to sign them. But I'm taking a real good look at you. I'm taking a real good look at your face. So being paid back and for always nothing. Well, welcome, my friends, to a show that seemingly never ends. And yeah, it's been a weird, weird ass week. And we're going to touch on some aspect of all of that in short order. Commercials at the top of the hour, being specifically. Pinko95014 at yahoo.com. If you want to PayPal, uh, uh, yeah, well, at least it's not the Labor Day where I got uh, um, appendicitis. That was a miserable Labor Day a long time ago. Uh, uh, show Stomper, let's see. Uh, 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 Patreon.com slash The Stomper. Not Stomperville, I think it's The Stomper. Or if you want to go Venmo or PayPal, it's Eugene-Robinson-28 or Planet Oxbow, capital P, Planet Oxbow, O-X-B-O-W. Or if you want to do it the old-fashioned way, P.O. Box 19271, Stanford, California, 94309. 
uh, uh, CFY is the address for that post box. I've had since 1979. We're going to let it go in the next couple of years. So I'm actually trying to decommission the amount of mail that uh, comes there. But you know, some of you have sent mail there. Well, actually, only one of yous. And uh, that is the way that you could pay if you should so choose uh, to pay for the show. So um, we let's let's just start at the start and um, uh, and it'll 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 all tie in together. Um, The beard is it's like people always ask me about the tape on the ears. That's got a really minor explanation. Ever since I got my head, my ear bashed in. And it tore my ear torn off by a broken bottle in Bay Ridge in 1980. And an inexpert doctor at the good hospital, not even the ghetto hospital. We went there to the ghetto hospital first, got no help, went to the good hospital. And they sewed my ear back together wrong. Um, I mean, he wasn't a surgeon. He was a, doing some sort of wild ass field dressing. I showed up to Stanford with my ear, my ear like this, like out like a wing. And um, since then, I have a hard time fitting anything in this ear, like earbuds, uh, uh, earplugs for shows. So I started putting tape over it. And incidentally, this is the first ear that started the cauliflower. So I don't know what to tell you about that. But um, usually what happens is my fixes, my medicines, my prescriptives are always worse than the disease. Uh, evidenced by the GI issue, which is being caused by eating Impossible Burger, which I started to do because what? I didn't want to eat red meat because I thought it was going to kill me. So I got to come up with solutions. So the beard is, I, I was, my face was getting worse and worse. And uh, people said, razor burn? Yeah, well, razor burn was only part of it, right? My face is like always hurting, like hurting. Your face is not supposed to fucking hurt. So, okay, I buy a different type of razor. I buy a straight razor. I buy one of those four-plex razors, a six-plex razor with six blades. And none of this shit's working. So I was like, you know what? Unless I'm on stage, which this is some version of, who gives a shit? Who gives a shit? People like making fun of me. Oh, your, your hair's coming back in. It's like, do you think I care? <laughs> do, do I look like the kind of cat? Like I'm a vain guy, but generally if the punum stays okay, the rest of it I don't give a fuck about, right? So um, so that's what we got going here. But those of you who, um, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, apropos of the subject at hand, I always knew at some point, at some point or another, um, a friend or a known associate would do something that would put you into that Jesus Christ the next day, the next morning bit uh, mode, by which I mean, you know, when he's talking to Peter, and I'm pretty sure it's Peter or Paul, and I'm not so strong in the Bible these days. And he says, listen, you're going to deny me three times before the cock crows. And it's Peter or Paul, one of maybe people who have access to Google right now can look it up. Says, oh, no, 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 Jesus, I'm not going to, it's not going to be. And so they haul him off, right? Judas does his thing. They haul Jesus off. And they say, hey, hey, weren't you one of those guys that was hanging out with Peter or Paul or whoever the fuck it was? Says, oh, me? No, I, 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 I heard about him like you. It wasn't me who was. I think that was a wise move myself. He felt guilty about it. Not as guilty as Judas, but he felt pretty guilty about it. Because what was said came true three times. And I said, you know, the, the, it's going to happen that that eventually you're going to have Eugene, given how you live your life and the the avenues in which you find yourself, that you're going to have uh, somebody that you have to turn your back on or 
alternatively, somebody that crosses a line or alternatively, somebody that does something beyond the pale. Now, I've talked about this before in connection to Elvis Costello. It wasn't a conscious. I was a huge Elvis Costello fan before he broke out with Ray Charles as a blind, stupid nigger. I have to tell you, honestly, it wasn't a conscious decision to go cold on Elvis Costello. It just happened. I'm sure you've been, um, um, uh, you're thinking of Barabbas, Mr. Is. Uh, we've talked about that the other show, the Barabbas effect. Uh, I love that. That's, But that's not what this is about. So, um, you know, so a, um, uh, now, see, you knocked me off course. See, I was cruising down. No, it was about people repudiating. And so it's not so much uh, repudiation, you know, as it is. Um, I just grew cold on him, on Elvis Costello. It wasn't like, like, I'm sure you've dumped people or been dumped by people and they have no strident explanation as to why it happened. You just had that naked lunch moment that William, William Burroughs describes as, you know, that when you're putting the fork to your mouth and you finally like really look down at what it is that you're putting in your mouth, which is fundamentally carrion. None of us are eating live food. If we eat, you know, flesh it's dead. And you have that naked lunch moment where you go, nah, I'm not putting this in my mouth. Or alternatively, uh, that's what I'm putting in my mouth. You just, there's a sea change in your behavior and you can't stop it. Or like somebody once said on MTV, one of those reality shows, you don't talk your way out of don't. It's a state of being and a place to be. You can't make decisions about this stuff unless you're a piece of shit. To witness the guy who I talked about last week. And we had a lot of guests on the comments last week, post facto. Because you put Proud Boys in the title and uh, uh, the princesses show up. They get upset and they leave comments. So we had a lot of views because they, they want to keep a track of what's happening to Gavin. The, the very wealthy Gavin, you know, to say Gavin. So uh, uh, so they came. We had a lot of people come. But also I had people, as I talked about on last show, who were wanting me to repudiate some of the more outre opinions of somebody like Jake Shields who uh, the person had correctly identified as one of your friends. I've got lots of friends with outre opinions. Jim Goad, uh, Boyd Rice. They Boyd Rice was out and out hanging out with Bob Hike and, 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 and Aryan Nations people. Doesn't come to me with that shit, you know? Uh, 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 yeah, 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 you did. I like that. So, uh, you know, this is, and, you know, I hate to, I hate to retreat to my thing of, always been nice to me, but that's, but you got to understand, this is me explaining the post facto, either emotional sea change or lack of emotional sea change. I have friends who have murdered people. I have friends who have murdered their partners. And when in the final examination, it's not just, they were always nice to me, but it was like, I, I understood it. And that's not enough really to say that I understood it. Um, because this is a non, this is non-intellectual, this process of keeping people in or putting people out. It is non-emotional. It is, it is biological. It is uh, genetic. It is like in prison, you know, in prison, it's one of the most effective vetting systems ever. Your, your success or failure. um, Yeah, you got to, you got to BC, you got to, you just, you got to, you know, but what, like if Jake Shields gave a shit about what I thought about anything, he would come to me like some people have and say, Eugene, what do you think about this? Some people in the community, I'm speaking specifically of the fight community, have come to me with stuff and said, do you think this is kind of strong? And not just about 
racial shit, right? Just about stuff. How, presentationally, usually they're people who are not Americans, right? So like the Brazilian cats. Hey, what do you, how, how will this play in America and, or with English-speaking people? And I give advice nearly as well as I think I can, right? But this stuff is not something you, you can decide, right? And, and I'm only going to mention it here briefly, despite the 12-minute preamble. But if those of you who are fans of, of neurosis paid attention to all the headlines, it was on NPR and it was on Forbes. And I, I, I thought that I, I should somewhat speak to it. I'm not going to write about it. Not yet. I can't do it and uh, and don't feel comfortable doing it. And it's not really my place to do it. Well, but like, you know, the Jesus identification with Peter or Paul, whoever it is the next day, um, this guy put me on Front Street. It wasn't Front Street. I make no secret of maintaining an association. You got it, CP. That's where I'm going. Maintain an association with uh, Jake Shields. But the whole Scott Kelly thing from neurosis is um, is is is. Somewhat noteworthy. I spent a lot of time on the on tour with him, uh, solo tour, him solo tour, me solo tour. You know, us a, in the uh, in in a car together for weeks. Um, you know, it, he when my daughter was up in in Portland at the Shakespeare, you know, at the Shakespeare Festival, he sought her out, and I said, if there are any problems, you got me covered. He goes, I got you covered. If there are any, if my kid needs anything, I'll have. I, she's got your number. He says, I got you, brother. Got you. Fine. This is, you know, this is the kind of, so he releases a long screed. Um, and, it, it, you know, I understand that he made a unilateral decision that multilaterally affected people. I understand he did it for his wife. Um, his bandmate, I find it interesting that his band, uh, in its repudiation of him, which was very quick and swift and, and necessary, I guess, um, said we've been trying to call him for months and he hasn't responded. You know, I, I also contract contacted him sometime during the shutdown said, are you doing okay? And he wrote me back and said, Nope. And I was like, well, you need anything, you know, ask, I don't know that I could do anything, but there's the ear. Right. So, uh, didn't hear back from him. And Barry Adamson is another friend of mine who I was kind of worried about and didn't mean hear, haven't heard back from him, kind of work, but he lays out systematically lays out how he's, Deceived, abused, physical, he describes his physical abuse, mental abuse, stalked, um, and his his wife and his child, children, he said plural. And he um, doesn't mention his oldest son, who is bigger and tall as a grown adult male. He's uh, a big kid. You're not a kid. He's like 26, 20, or 28, 29, big, hefty, muscular guy. He, he, but, you know, I know that he had with Sarah, his wife, a small child. And, um, and I remember him telling me at one point he, um, he, he screamed at his kid and he saw real fear in his kid's face. Like he grew up with and he said, I don't want my kids to ever look like that at me again. So I decided to never hit my kids. And, you know, and as a guy who I dated a woman who had kids early on and her son jumped up and uh, she said, get out of bed. I go, no, I'm tired. I'm going to get out of bed. He says, get out of bed. I said, no, I don't want to. And he jumped up on bed and kicked me with all of his little five-year-old might in my knee. And I struck him. I hit him on the ass. Bam. It was automatic. You know, I'm a counter puncher. And she had already explained to me that she didn't believe in hitting her kids. And so I was like, oh, fuck. You know, it was just, I wasn't even thinking. It was like, I'm going to teach you a lesson. I was like, you kick me, I hit you. Boom. 
And I was like, hey, I'm sorry. You know, I go, she goes, no, he learned a valuable lesson. And that was like, if you hit somebody who's bigger than you, you might get hit back. So I go, okay, you know, but I was undecided as to whether corporal punishment or anything was effective. Now, the father of four kids never hit my kids in anger. Not a single time. Not a single time. I've got four daughters. Now, if we're training jujitsu together or stand up doing MMA, of course I hit my kids. I'm trying to keep them from murdering me, but that's sport. That's not the thing. So I find myself in this position of uh, not able to judge, but all I can do is track my inner workings. And I have to say in, in this instance, I um, I don't feel any need to pro- publicly proclaim anything one way or another, but um, but like the, the prison harrowing system by which everybody's net value and worth is quickly as- assessed uh, along the lines of they're either a valuable team member or not a valuable team member has done has done its duty in this instance, and I find myself um, I. F- I find there's a certain stillness in my heart and, and period, end of sentence. You got to understand that, you know, um, no, I don't think corporal punishment works for anybody. I was hit like three times. One time I was hit for kicking my father in his ass as hard as possible. And I don't remember being hit because I was laughing so hard when he hit me back. I can't even recall if he really hit me or not. Other two times, uh, uh, the little kid who was developmentally disabled, you know, he would throw stuff up to me and I would throw stuff back to him. And one day he was like, you know, threw stuff and he had, I think I threw a water pistol. He caught it. He threw it back up to me and he had no water in it, you know? So I was like, I'll get you some water. And I just grabbed a little bottle and I put water in the bottle and I threw it out. Well, it turns out, I mean, I'm six, seven. I wasn't thinking that the bottle that I put water in was like an Excedrin bottle. It was just a bottle that was in the bathroom, you know? I said, I'm going to throw. And so his mother complained that I was throwing like medicinal that could have killed this little developmentally disabled kid. Jimmy was his name. And so I got punished for this by being hit. Well, I was, I remember being shocked. Like, what the fuck are you hitting me for? You know, and uh, and then the other time was I was bothering uh, four years or five years old bothering somebody in a restaurant. She said, "Turn around." My mom said, "Turn around, turn around." I said, turn, turn around. He took me to the bathroom and spanked me, and then took me back to the table. I was like, same. I was like, I didn't learn anything from this. So you know, my mother, my mother. I think those were performative. Her preferred modus operandi was the harangue. <laughs> that was the harangue. I yeah, there's nobody whose behavior you improve. Uh, uh, by hitting them outside of a grown adult male <laughs> who I've hit plenty of. And I guarantee you it served as a corrective. Um, so I just, that's, that's it. That's all. That's how I, I find there's a certain stillness um, uh, in, in, in my chest because um, I mean, I, I, I even have friends who have, um, I even have, I have friends who are inveterate criminals. Like you, like you, I would say if you said, oh, I saw your friend P, right? I saw your friend, I'm just not going to give his full name. I saw your friend P, I'd be on edge right away. P and I have been friends for a long time, since the 80s. And we have a wonderful detente. And I know like a glass with a crack in it, were I to yield for half a second, 
that water's going to flow through that that glass. Never lend him money. Never be in a position to, to, to never vouch for him. Don't agree to anything publicly and put nothing in writing with him. You have to be on your P's and Q's all the time. And I'm comfortable with that kind of relationship. Fundamentally, he's one of those guys who say, I could do anything. He's one of those, I could do anything, guys. But his doing anything is very specifically collected to nickels and dimes. I'm a do anything kind of guy. Not about nickels and dimes. We don't need to talk about me. It's not about me. How in the ways in which I'm a do anything guy. But you know what I, you know, like don't, don't, it's, it'll be out in the memoir. There's certain things you could trust me with and certain things admittedly that you shouldn't trust me with. Oh, Eugene, uh, you know, my my recently divorced 65-year-old mother needs a ride. Could you help her out? What do you mean exactly help her out? <laughs> well, just give her a ride across town. Uh, what, what do you mean ride? <laughs> look, look she, she gets in your car, you know, and... Uh, she hops in and, uh, you know, you you get her, uh, you know, get her home in one piece. Uh, you know, just be nice. Uh, what do you mean, nice? <laughs> so, no, so, but if we have these understandings about people, but if, you know, it, it, it's like the it's like the Monty Python argument thing. I came in here for an argument. No, you didn't. Yes, I did. It says it on the door. No, you didn't. Uh, you know, just saying no, you didn't is not a way to argue. Yes, it is. Perfect. A guy tells you I could do anything. I'm lying to you now. Am I? Or I was lying to you then. I'm lying to you always. Or maybe I'm lying to you every other word. I, you know what? I don't I don't have time. I don't have time for this after school special fucking drama. I don't have time. And so my heart grows still. And so I say that in regards to it, it covers also the whole Gavin situation as well. You proud boys out there fucking beating the drum for him or the MAGA types beating the drum for fucking the Donald and stuff like that. Like the guy said from Dropkick Murphy's. These people don't give a fuck about you. And they understand, and their biggest and best fans understand that. They understand that because they don't give a fuck about him. Our attraction and our primary spear point of involvement with the rest of the universe starts with me, me, me. And if you read the Substack I just put out called uh, uh, Better Call Saul, for what? Uh, I, I go into that point very specifically. So all of those, oh, we got London in the house. All right, I'm going to be there soon. Like I said, September 29th, uh, hit me up in a DM and I'll give you an invite to the invite only party that I'm throwing there in London, September 29th. I believe it is a Thursday to right toward the end of creative week for those who are paying attention to such things. I'll put it up on the show as well, but now early stage in, you get the, the pass and that way we could hang out for a little bit. So. God love you, you true believers out there, you know, thinking that, you know, the little t-shirts and the little slap fights you have to get in and then, and then the drinking and the male chauvinism and any of the, this, these realm of ideas, you know, Jake's realm, Jake Shields realm of ideas, Gavin in his, his world of ideas, you know, have infrequently sort of trundled over into actions, you know, January 6th. But I tell you, I tell you, like I've said before, and I'll say it again, I, I, I feel as sorry for those guys as I do those cats running around the airports with, with orange and saffron robes, you know? 
Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I just, uh, or, you know, choir altar boys, the altar boy, the magazine for the wayward priest. I still want to make that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the thing is, if you generally, if you're Jake and Gil and Nate and Nick and these cats, you just, you let your friends do whatever crazy thing they want. They don't pay attention. Like, yeah, I don't give a shit. You know, you think anybody gave gave Henzo a hard time for being a big Bolsonaro guy? Paulo Costa is out there saying, how do you like that segue? Right to MMA. Paulo Costa is out there saying that, oh, he thinks that his lack of popularity or the amount of hostility that people in Brazil feel for him has to do with his full-throated endorsement of support of Bolsonaro. It's like nobody's watching you, Rockwell. So fuck about you, Costa. Yeah. Yeah. So, um... So I, 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 I think it's important to remember who cares about you and who doesn't. You know, there's an old journalistic adage, you know, even if your mother says she loves you, get a second opinion. You know, if in the early days of a cub reporter, I would die. I go in, send, send a piece to my editor. He goes, let's come in and talk about it. And I say, well, you know, they have uh, such and such and such. And well, who said that? Well, uh, uh, John uh, Danilo said it. He said it. Uh-huh. Who else said it? Anybody else? What happened when you went to the analyst and said what John Danilo said? Is that was that? Huh? Did did you did you? And so all of a sudden you're like, man, I gotta cover this thing from 360 degrees because I can't go Clint. I can't go into Clint's office. That was his name, and not I know he's gonna run me through a gauntlet just to see how well reported this was. If John Danilo says something about Robert Castellaghi, then you gotta get and he go you go back and forth until you can answer every single question about who said what and why and when and where they were when they said it. That's it. So you know, um, so I, this is this is this is how you learn to be. You, I wasn't hit to do that. I just didn't like sitting that feeling, of sitting there with my dick in my hand and no answers to questions. So I have to say, you lo- want to love on up the manga types. Want to love on up on. I'm, you got to understand that's probably part of the nature of the appeal. But I did it. I did, you know, all of this in the background to what's happening right now. There's a lot of TV, film stuff still happening for me in regards both to the Aussie story and other things. And I explained to people. I said, "You're ta- you're talking right now to a, a revealer, not a concealer. All right? I'm not trying to conceal anything from anybody. I'm, I'm. La- I mean, at the very best, I'll leave stuff out." And I'm, now that I'm writing this memoir, I'll, I'll, I'll hopefully figure this out. Like I don't have, I, I didn't want to do it because I don't want to lie, but I just don't, I don't have to, to put stuff in there. I can clear in the telling of this story. I do not have to stop and say, by the way, this morning, I had to piss like a racehorse. The wife was in the bathroom, so I had to run out to the front yard to piss because I couldn't hold it. I don't have. That's not germane to the telling of this story. Though, yes, indeed, it happened. I talked to you about jujitsu, and I got you here. And we recorded Care, Don't Care. And then I got in the Substack, and then I got you here. Well, you know, GP, I have to say that what he said in the letter is that he was faking the mental health issues. So, again, we, we're on unstable 
unstable ground and they were unknown it's unknown about what's what and again like i said i don't i don't have time to figure it out it's a parlor game i, I don't have time for i'm a revealer also known as a straight shooter like i said before it's not so much that i lie but i say stuff that doesn't come true but i'm not trying to deceive I got nothing like Jeff Galuli says to uh, Tanya Harding when she's calling the cops on him. Come on over, officers. I got nothing to hide. There's nothing that you would hear about me that you would find surprising and go, oh, Eugene did what? Well, (laughs) you might be surprised at numbers. (laughs) But but in general, in general, you're not going to say, I I had no idea that, you know, you would not, you know. I tell you that parlor game that I had at some comp- corporate dinner, and people were drinking, and I, and they're going around the table, and they're like, "How many people have you slept with? How many people have you slept with?" I go, "This is fucking corporate, Eugene. You're sitting here wearing a suit. Yes, you're enjoying a nice glass of wine. When it gets to you, say nothing." But each person who prefaces it. They just say, eh, well, this and that, and then they kind of explain it. So it's longer. So I, actually, I was drinking not wine. I was drinking a Manhattan. You ever had a Manhattan? Yeah, well, 25 minutes later into the drinking of the Manhattan, when they get around to me, I'm like, that's it. I Like the blue song said, don't start me talking. I'll tell you everything I know. And the response around the table collectively was like, Fuck. Why? Listen, let me give you some perspective. As a former sex advice columnist, I can tell you the average American male has had seven sexual partners his entire life. So to some people, more than seven is going to be shocking unless you're Gene Simmons. So let's just leave that there. I don't know. I don't know. I don't I don't know. I don't know. I don't know, and I try to think this through, and let's just tie it off. I don't know what happens now. Like, I often knew that somebody would cross a line, you know, like Lawrence Ferlinghetti talked about obscene boundaries, that they would cross a line. And I knew that I don't make these decisions, um, that my making these are not, um, are not, uh, organic, or no, no, it's not. They're organic. They're not. They're not um, constructs. They're just based on feelings for me. But I'm not in a band with somebody like that. So we've got a business operation, a band. I don't know what the right move is, and that's become a curiosity to me. Do you continue, replace him? I think a band name is just an advertising thing that you do. And people know it's you. It's just you making music. The joy is from you making music. I think a name changes in order. I think if you play anything from the past catalog, it's got to be what the non-offending members have written. And I think everybody understands that was then. This is now. Change the name to, you know, Pyresis, uh, whatever. I say change it. it. We know it's you. We love your music. Play that which doesn't offend. I mean, you know, the whole Michael Jira thing was a curiosity too. What do you do? What do you do? This is not the 60s anymore where you could fuck somebody with a fish and people laugh about it and hammer the gods. Can't do that anymore. 
Besides which, I hear that somebody fucks somebody with a fish, and I go, that's weak sauce. Because I know, having been in the trenches, that you did that because you couldn't get it up. But this is not a sex show. I'm just talking. I just want to lay things out for the proud boys who happen to wander in again just so they could get in the comments and call me a piece of shit. That my attitude largely toward you, I feel sorry for you. I feel sorry for you like I feel sorry for any other true believer, you know, guy, Muslim guy selling moon pies, you do the saffron robes in the airport. You guys are, are, are cat's paws for other peoples, or the Italian word for puppets that they use in The Godfather. You do realize the logo is is the puppeteer's uh, strings and and the uh, cross piece that they use to control the puppets. Sorry for you. <laughs> Who do I owe a thousand dollars to? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's right, that's right, JB. If you think for a second I've forgotten that thousand dollars, I have not. Not at all. If Rudolph from uh, Rutland Road has owed me three cents from a blackjack game that we played in 1973, you better believe I haven't forgot that thousand dollars. Yeah, you missed everything. So, uh, so anyway, I, I just have to say, uh, whether it's Gavin McInnes or Trump or you know, but, but, and this ties into the Substack, you know, amorality, immorality, morality. These are all things that I, I, I have to say that largely my stance is probably amoral, which is very different from immoral. But if you're going to find if, if morality is going to find any sort of favorite friend, especially immorality, it's amorality. Morality, as far as I'm concerned, is a crock of shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, you know, they got, you know, Terrio is half black and half Puerto Rican. And I've always I've always known black skin, you know, you know, um, at the time, you remember Lefty from D.C.? She was, uh, uh, not yet, not yet. Uh, I'm just about to segue into UFC Paris. So, which was funny because you remember, <laughs> Evil Business uh, allowed me to skate right into it. You remember I fought in, uh, went and trained in Marseille and, um, uh, and went to see some MMA matches in Marseille back when I wrote my play, maybe 2000 and... Uh, 2009 or 10. And if you remember from older shows that I did from back then that a, uh, in Marseille, that the French MMA rules were, um, were when you're on the ground, you're on the ground. When you're standing up, you're standing up. When you're throwing, you're throwing. But in other words, what I mean by that is you can punch and kick while you're standing up. You can grab and grapple while you're standing up to affect a throw. But once you get somebody on the ground, you must only grapple. Right. And I predicted at the time that we were 10 years away from seeing a French champion specifically because of that. And in actual fact, I haven't changed my opinion in one instance. Like everybody who was on, on the commentary desk was, was shocked and surprised at the turnout in France. I'd already been to a stadium to watch this boldlerized version of MMA that I just told you about. It was packed. It was packed. 
So that audience has been there. And I have to tell you, if you're confused about how they were cheering, I have to tell you, when I was training in Marseille with those guys, a vast majority of those cats were Algerian, which means they were like they were like Muslims, Algerian Muslims who have been outsided by French culture in general. Listen, this place that I, I've been in some ranked places to train. And this place was connected to like a city organization where they had programs for, for youths. But the most shocking thing about it, the room was fine. There's a mat on the floor. There are pictures of me on the Facebook page training there. Sitting where, where my mouth is all bloody, that was one of them. So mats on the floor, mats on the wall. But they couldn't open the window. Ah, you're out of your mind. You're out of your mind, Dan Shaw. I'm about to get to that, though. <laughs> You're out of your fucking mind. Um, so a, um, they wouldn't open the windows for some reason. It wasn't the people. said, they will not let us open the windows. Who knows? It was not on the first floor, so it had nothing to do with thievery. Um, but these were like uh, French Algerian, Algerian kids. And they were just, I felt like the kids in my neighborhood. You could see that they're they're keenly aware of the world passing them by. As we got to the as we went to the uh the big uh the stadium to see the fight, then you get older cats who have figured out their older brothers and so on who have who have figured have figured out how to make their way on the periphery of of French society as security guards or 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 whatever. But there's a wellspring of anger there. So I wasn't surprised. And as well as having French in my blood, I wasn't surprised there was a big turnout. Gone, there were no losers in this fight. Absolutely zero losers on this fight. I mean, you know, Tui Tuivasa fought a kind of fight that has kept him um, not rear-facing in the rankings in heavyweight. He's not a, he's not executive gatekeeper quite yet, though you do have to get by him to get by. Um, you know, you do have to get by him to get to get by, but he's still he's still in that belt conversation, right? Specifically. Uh, uh, um, let's see, whoever loses, uh, Gon gets the first pick of the bunch. So Gon gets, uh, uh Jones or, or Ngannou, cause I think they're going to pull their trigger on making that happen. Uh, but Tui would then fight the, lo- the loser of that and uh, and then rotate it. So you have a pretty choice situation up at the top five. And I'm not, don't forget about Stipe. I haven't forgotten about it. I'm sure you haven't either. So uh, now, now, now Dan Shore's comment about it's it's the 800-pound gorilla in the room. And when we were talking on Care Don't Care today, they said, how do we keep this guy relevant and, and not on ice through the conclusion of whatever happens with Nganu, Jones, and Stipe. So, well, you have him fight. Who do you have him fight? I say you have him fight, and, and I got shit on for this by Steph. I say you have him fight the Russian guy who just knocked out um, they, who just knocked out uh, Derek Lewis. She goes, how does that even make sense? She goes, how does that even make sense? He's not. He's like. He's like barely in the top ten rankings. How do you take? How do you take? Uh, how do you take this guy against a number one contender and fight? I go. You just got to give him something to keep his seat warm. Something that doesn't prove at that, but that's a good fight. And Curtis Blades is not that fight. She goes, why not? I because Curtis Blades is going to open the door into what we all know and that we're choosing to not pay attention to. He's no Czech Congo. 
which means he hasn't proven he hasn't proven us that he's educable in regards to groundwork, which is a necessary part of MMA. Correct. That's right. I'm giving credit where credit is due, Mr. GP. I'm giving credit where credit is due. And he, uh, yeah. So anyway, the, how do you give? I say you give him. A, why would you give him a test like Blades? You got to know Blades is coming in there. He, he he will be a farrago, a demon, because he's always felt like the looked over man. He feels like this is Boy Friday that he's going up against. This is the number number one guy. He's mystified that a guy who's not done a single bit of grappling in any of it got taken out by grappling for Ngannou, who had, was doing it on a bum leg. That this is a guy that, that would be the number one guy. You know, Curse Blades is coming in for blood. Exactly, that's what I'm saying. She's like, well, you're wrong. And I was like, well, that, you know, between you and me, I suspect that uh, the fight promoters are looking like, a, keep this guy exciting, keep him, put him against another striker like this this Russian guy who just beat Derek Lewis. And you got yourself somebody who can comfortably sit on ice until a John Jones and Gano thing washes itself out, works itself out. Putting him against Curtis Blades, that's a tall order. But... You know, you put him against Curtis Blades, you find out how educable he is, how much he's been paying attention to jiu-jitsu. And uh, first thing, I suspect the guy is super athletic based on some of the stuff I've seen. It's just him with the basketball. I played basketball for years on teams. I suck. You know, and I can't think of any greater coming out party. The French audiences were insane. And I think when he got, he said he got hit, hit the mat, woke up. And kept fighting, and he's like, no, he wasn't going to let the fact that his school teacher was there, that his mother was there, that his girlfriend was there, that he had to get tickets for people. He wasn't going to let that hometown thing because he was fighting nationally. He wasn't fighting regionally. He wasn't thinking about, oh, I got to get the people from the old neighborhood. He was thinking about the country. You know, like when Eve, uh, sorry, Leon Edwards go back, they go, he was giving a hero's welcome. And you look at the video. And it's like 15 people in the fucking airport. I'm not saying that's bad. I'd be happy to have 15 people show up for me anytime I'm in an airport. Compare and contrast it to Yuri Prochaska, go, land, or uh, no, I'm sorry, uh, not, um, uh, Blahovitz going home and the streets filled. You you don't have any idea that the cultural he- he- hegemony of, of 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 American Western. I was in Poland for the first time, playing a, a, an acoustic duo set, and I said in my limited Polish, said some stuff to the audience, and the whole front row of guys burst into tears. It meant they could have been tears of laughter because my pronunciation was so bad. But later they came up to me and buying me drinks and said that they did so because we just love that you, you, a language that you, you know, like you, it was super significant to them. So Don was fighting nationally. <laughs> Je suis mal. <laughs> uh, yeah. Not going back to the fucking factory, not getting cycled out of the mix, still in the mix, but the big, you say, you say, gone over jones i say go look at look go look at jones and and uh fucking uh who's that cat whose name i can't even remember he was a jc greco guy that is not for nothing uh what's that guy's name the one who fought forrest griffin stephen bonner right 
Not for nothing. Not with an 85 inch reach. <laughs> you got to do a lot of things right to beat John, uh, Johnny Boney Joni. Um, so, uh, um, so <laughs> you know, I, I, it, whatever, whatever. The fight was worthwhile. Everybody wins. Tui's still in the conversation. You'd love to see him with Stipe. You'd love to see him with Curtis Blades. The only downside, as always, with the UFC is let's not talk about what people get paid because it gets depressing. Now, the knock against Gon, and this is why he comes out of his fight doing more than winning. The knock against him is that he's been a boring technician. And, I, and I, I've made that claim, and I have to say justifiably so, I believe, but also the reality of it is that, you know, uh, he's not the only one in there. There are other people in that cage with him, other persons specifically. So it's on both of them. You know, like Chris Curtis recently was up uh, uh, frustrated and flipping off the guy that he uh, that he that he lost to. I mean, fundamentally, him flipping off the guy was saying, you're making us both look bad. <laughs> you know. So uh, I, 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 you know, I, I think I think dude comes out a winner. Uh, specifically, uh, Tui, he's still not looking behind him. He's looking forward. Gone has 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 patched over parts that people. He's not a, not boring. Has some depth. Can take a punch. All these things that keep him keep him solvent. So heavyweight is looking like a serious division, but there's still that lacuna. There's still the top, not a really healthy middle, and still those cats floating around 10, 11, 12, 13. I don't say it's a healthier division when the twain gets closer, but I do say that um, I do say that you probably need at least five to keep the fantasy MMA mix. So I'm about to get shot in the foot here. Sorry, uh, to keep the the mix healthy. Yeah, it does it it, it? it it yeah. I'm not you know Jan, the flatness. Um, if you think, I mean, he made. I think he made his decision for psychic reasons as well as anything else, right? Um, I think he was bored. Um, he was bored. Uh, and you could see it. And, and it's under, completely understandable. I'm not guessing about this. If, if you never have to dig down more than, than 15%, or 50%, sorry, why do you give a shit? Compare and contrast is, I mean, you know, no, I know, you know, it just, I mean, somebody who's locked in and engaged is not getting popped for all this stupid shit. You're bored. I've never been at the top of my field of much of anything, so I don't know what that's like. We just get bored being great all the time. Yeah. Um, And the thing with Vittori, like I unloaded on him on 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 care don't care and i felt bad i felt bad for unloading on him on because I, he was my pick but it's not spurn lover thing that it was just like what do you you're just one of those guys you, you all this talk before i will crush you you're just one of those guys and i see these guys carl gotch said something i even may have put this in the fight book bull it was one of his favorite sayings bulls get killed on the floor these big muscle guys, he's going to, I'm bigger than him. I'm bigger. You're thinking like a fucking amateur. 
you, you know, I mean, half of these guys, keep in mind, keep in mind, most guys over 180 pounds walking the street in bars, pull up on you. They feel like they're big guys. They feel tough. You get a guy who's 220. He feels like, yeah, I got a guy I do jujitsu with who's like 255, 260. He's like, well, I'm not using full strength. Okay. And every now and then I got to turn the Hulk on him. And it's nice to see him panic. Like, hey. <laughs> so, so Vittori is like talking and he's Izzy and I got to be, and he is really healthily in that number one, number two, you know, in that, in that rarefied Trinity of guys that you could, could healthily be making that belt sign. And you don't feel like, what the fuck are you talking about? And he goes out there and stinks up the fucking joint. You so you're scared to take him down because you take him by all this black belt and jujitsu shit. So you're not gonna and you're gonna persist after that first round, which arguably could say that you won. You're gonna persist in rounds two and three with this shit that's not working and just and, and you got jobbed in the worst way possible. If I were you, halfway through that third round, I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I would rather get knocked out than to just get pointed out of fucking significance you know what that's like that's like when you're old and you're tottering around someplace you shouldn't be and the nurse comes and grabs you and turns you back around to the the thing because that's what they did at this point in time they grabbed vittori's shoulders and they turned him around and faced him to the back of the line you don't have to go to the back of line but anybody you fight at this point is gonna be from there so welcome to executive gatekeeper level sir And of course, both of these cats are in hell because now there's a, Steph is like talking about, oh, we got to get them get a trilogy. Who would who, who wouldn't want to see that trilogy? A trilogy for what? John Nash is willing to concede. Okay, but Bobby Knuckles has two more fights, cleans out some rep, tough guys in the division. He might have a case for turn around and facing Izzy again. I go, no. Who just made that comment? What of you just made that comment in there? Where is it? The, uh, uh, where is it? Mr. Is, go to light heavyweight. Go to light heavyweight or something or wait for Perea to beat him, which could happen. You want to know what I think is happening? I think he's using the Chuck Liddell methodology. I'm talking about Izzy. I think Izzy is like, my stand-up is good enough to make it, to get an entry off. I'm not going to take any chances punching it out with this guy because he's taken me out before. But my stand-up is good enough where I could do what he doesn't expect me to do, which is take him down. I guarantee you, Izzy is a blue belt in jiu-jitsu, I believe. And I am a two-stripe brown belt. But I would have a hard time with this cat in his, non, his non-fight weight in jiu-jitsu. I am 60, but I would still have a hard time and I can crush comparative guys who are not professional athletes. Perea, unless he's a black belt of jiu-jitsu and been doing this for a long time, may have a hard time keeping up. He doesn't have to do anything other than be able to stand up or, you know, defensively. Defensively, I'm great. Sorrell has no problem admitting this at all. He is huge. He's got to lose the weight, his weight classes. Sorrell is telling some guy in, Brazil, in Portuguese, yeah, Eugene's not very good. 
but he's very hard to submit. That's all Perea has to be. Got five rounds to figure this shit out. You can't work out a knockout. That's what you got. So, um, so then what happens with Perea wins? Then you've got some. Then you just got some juice. Who does Bobby Knuckles fight? Well, he fights Perea. Don't have to worry about being taken bound by that guy. You can see how good his hands and feet are. Presumably, they are better than Izzy's if he loses. If Izzy loses to him, but we'll see. Yeah, I, you know, listen. I, I don't. I don't want to cheat. Uh, I don't want to cheat. Uh, care don't care, but I'm going to because we got to talk about it on this show right now. Right now, we're talking about next weekend, Hamsat and and Diaz, and every bone in my body wants to pick Diaz. Every single bone I have in my body wants to pick Mister Two Hundred Nine. But when I look at my fantasy at MMA league, they're just, you look at, you know, when they look at somebody who's murdered somebody, um, when they look at somebody who's murdered somebody, usually they catch people from associations. Like, so that strangers on a train thing is probably, you know, uh, is probably the best of all possible things. If you kill a total stranger, it's very hard to find you, right? Um, so when you have connections, that means you have like blockchains, you have like, uh, um, you know, that you have, uh, you know, the logical connections that will drive you from one person to the other. So look, I can see a scenario in which like loneliness of the long distance runner, Nate comes in and was like, fuck it, fuck you. Like his brother lays out on the cage and was like, yeah, okay. You won. I'm free of my contract. I'm going to go fight Logan Paul, Jake Paul for uh, 10 mil. I'll see you later. Or 209 could go gangster and be like, yeah, I have fucked this guy up. I'm going to surprise the world. More importantly than that, when you see the odds, oh, when you see the odds, if they don't make you nervous, if you don't start to smell Pena, Nunez won, should, should. Lots of stuff can happen to a win. It doesn't mean Hamzat has to be has to be dominated for three rounds or five rounds or however many rounds. If I, it doesn't have to be the case, dude could pull could, could do an Aspinall, and he loses that fight. Yeah. Well, once we get into talking about Tony fighting Jingling, then things get said. So we're just not going to talk about next week's show. Now, I just had to touch on the Diaz thing. Because that will happen before this show happens next week. So I, 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 you know, I, I had to pick. I had to pick Homicide. Look, I said they got a team with strong wrestlers, so you can have a strong wrestler that hits, you know, hits a single, hits a double hard to work with nothing but that. And then you got, you know, then you got those guys stand up. It's questionable whether the two hundred nine slap can deal. But what he, what Homicide mixes up. Is that forward aggressive forward power of a wrestler with with striking, powerful striking, not especially skilled striking. You could see that against Gilbert Burns. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I don't know. I don't know. I would really this is the kind of thing where publicly I will make the pick for Homsat, but if I was a betting man, I would put a hundred dollars on Nate because the payout is just insane. I could lose a hundred dollars at a meal. And I don't stand to make 8000 on the back end of that. 
So, um, yeah, I don't. I, well, we're going to – this is more. Somebody left in the comments earlier. We're talking about old men, aren't we? Yeah, we are. Yeah, we are. Uh, other fight, I have to say, uh, Joaquin uh, Buckley and uh, Imamov. I don't know. I saw Mr. Is in the comments. Hey. Uh, Buckley structurally was, you know, he was just, a, it was, a, he was um, a stepping stone. No, it's not, no, he's not a gict, man. He's not a, he's not a gict. It, it, he was just a stepping stone. When I, when I saw the height and the difference and the, I was just like, mm, this is, this is a gimme for him. They're, 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 you know, they're, they're buddying up these guys. Why? I suspect for the reason that makes us all sad that we're not trying to think about on every single show since the last show where I talked about it, which is, I think they'll be glad for anything. They'll be glad for anything. Hey buddy, I'll give you a lamb chop. You fight, I'll fight them. I kill them for a lamb chop. Okay, great. You know? Um, so, it, and it, 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 I mean, with Hamza, it's been proven that emotionally you can get, you can get him. You can get him. His team was telling him, what are you doing against Gilbert Burns? Do not do this against Gilbert Burns. Get out there and fight Gilbert. You know, do the fight that we talked about. Didn't do any of that. Didn't do any of that. He could have easily lost that fight and was very close to doing so. Did not dominate Gilbert Burns. So I have to tell you, it personally pains me to to not have picked uh, Diaz in this fight. But like I said, I think Diaz has so many possible motivations for com- for committing himself to any sp- any course of action on this that I can't tell where his head is at. And I got spies in that camp. Yeah, exactly. That Mr. Is thinks Burns won that, I think says it a lot. So I I think that, I, you know, I'm, I'm tugging on people's coats and they're telling me different things about how they, about, you know, what Diaz is doing. I don't know. Don't know. Don't know. It's it's yeah. I, I I don't know. I could see going either way. Crapping in the cake, but it should be if it's not, it should be five rounds. The Diaz's have never done well with that three rounds. Never. Like I used to say about uh, 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 Nick, he fights like he was like he just came from Pride. Like he's expecting that he's going to get a long engagement and get time to turn it around. And his brother did the same way. I mean, you know, nobody believes that if they got into five rounds, that necessarily that e the the Leon the Leon Edwards would have lasted. <laughs> that would be great, man. That's what I'm saying. Loneliness is a long distance runner. We would we would not hate on. Well, the people at home who paid eighty dollars for it would hate on it. Well, maybe the people who paid more for tickets would hate on it. But if Diaz goes. Uh, Taps the first second, stands up, gives everybody the finger, walks over uh, onto the, uh, uh, um, the 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 what do you call it the commentary desk, gives those guys all fingers, talks to Dana and gives him a finger, and then strides out with a big joint in his mouth. I got you. Two hundred nine fans would be beside themselves with glee because he would simultaneously have made himself look great, Hamza look shitty. And and uh, I'm taking my cards and going home. Leave you to your game. Have this guy do a personal appearance where people give a shit. So um, so I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. 
I don't know. I don't know what. And the rest of this card, Fight Night, um, I didn't start watching until there were a couple of uh, Roman I watched. And there were, it was a soft card, but it was a free card. It's starting as early as it did at 9 o'clock. Didn't do it any favors because I had to train on Saturday. Starts Me getting ready for training starts at 11, ends at 2.30. So we're here at 2.28 of the Eugene S. Robinson Show Stomper. Maybe we've shaken, maybe we've shaken all the Proud Boys, <laughs> but I put Proud Boys in the title, so maybe they've come back. Listen, I wouldn't feel sorry for you guys if I didn't care about you guys. <laughs> and the only reason I care about you is because I feel sorry for those guys on Omaha Beach. What? What the fuck is Eugene talking about? Patton. He saw a bunch of nervous soldiers. He goes, what are you guys fucking nervous for? So well, we're going, we're going up to Omaha Beach. He's like, really? Yeah, we're going to Omaha Beach, man. He's like, listen, listen. Only 1.9% of you are gonna die. I mean, what are those odds? If I told you you have a 1.9% chance of fucking getting struck by lightning if you leave the house, you still leave the house. And as it turns out, they just did an interview or recently resurrected interview with a Nazi soldier who was like, who was the one machine gunner, had no idea it was like one machine gunner, was having to wait for the guns to, the, to cool down. So you one, like one pillbox machine gunner who killed like the vast majority of those guys. The guys like lived out his life in Hamburg as an accountant or some shit like that. I don't know, I don't know some pretty middle road job. And he said, yeah, when I see all these celebrations and these movies, like, Private Ryan, I was like, yeah, yeah. that was me. I kind of, kind of feel bad about that. I feel bad about that. And in the end, what was the kill rate? Patton was exactly right. It was like maybe one, a percentage point above. Instead of 1.9%, 2.0 died. The fuck? Why no? Why no? So if things work badly for the MAGA Proud Boys type, how many of you are actually going to do jail time? <laughs> what does it matter that Trump is going to go to another golden toilet and Gavin's going to buy another house in Larchmont? What does it matter? I want to be a puppet. I want to be a puppet. It's not intellectual for me. It's emotional. Don't like the feeling. People living all over me. So that's the show. Two, two, eight of the Eugene Robinson Show Stomper. Tomorrow at noon, we got Care Don't Care preview going. The Substack is already out. You should look at uh, uh, what's it called? Uh, uh, Better Call Saul. I go for what? That's the title, or maybe Better Call Saul for um, the. I have a piece with up, upcoming stand-up comedian for Wong Duty to Live Five this week, but he's being slow getting the question answers back to me. So I don't know that we're going to necessarily have that ready for the Wong Duty thing. But if you follow me on the Twitter machine, it goes up there and you'll see it as usual. Also, Mr. Sleep and the number three on Instagram. I try to note this stuff there too. Last week was Cintra Wilson. The week before was Vernon Reed. And the week before that was Mike Patton. So that's a pretty good run you've had for the past four weeks. You can read it there at wongduty.com. Type my name in at wongduty.com. They all come up. Anyway, thanks for listening. Try not to die between now and next week and the kids awake so I can healthily say, look what you made me do!